0: Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Happy Sunday and welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is Ken Adams and today I have a guest with me. He is his name is Jake Christensen. Um he is my brother's brother-in-law. So his his sister married my brother, and Jake and I were having a conversation about one of the episodes that came out recently called Spiritual Escapism. And where in that episode I mentioned a lot of things. I mean, the episode wasn't just about psychedelics or mushrooms or things like that. It was about people that would escape solving their own problems in their lives by using spirituality as an escape. So Jake and I got in a conversation and he he wanted to talk more about how mushrooms have helped him and others that he know uh, overcome these problems. So I brought him on the show because I, w- I want to hear different perspectives. Because from my perspective, I I have friends that do mushrooms, that do psychedelics, that have had these kind of experiences, and I just didn't see their quality of life change is is basically my perspective so jake has a different perspective so i brought him on the podcast today and we are just going to talk about it i'm going to ask jake a bunch of questions um i might add a few insights as they come to me but mostly i'm curious so uh jake would you go ahead and introduce yourself some and your background and what got you into mushrooms psychedelics i I mean you tell me what you do
1: (laughs) cool yeah um thanks for having me on kenny i'm stoked to come on and talk about this this is something that has been a huge impact in my life and so i'm, I'm stoked for the opportunity to to talk about it um where do i begin um so i've done uh three journeys now with psilocybin mushrooms um all three of them have been uh you know, you can always do any type of like drug or anything like that in a recreational way. Or I think with, you know, with spiritual drugs and things, you can use them in a spiritual way. And I've always sought and used these as only in in a spiritual way. And because of that, I've had three just very profoundly spiritual experiences um, with them. Uh, The first time, I uh, had a friend of mine named Hugh Vale, and Hugh introduced me to uh, mushrooms and told me about them and told me about some of his experiences, and so I went and joined him. We had, like, a shaman, and he guided me and four other people on a journey And one Saturday morning, and it was it was unreal. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life where... Uh, one thing that happened in it that frequently happens is you go back and you relive uh, times in your life and I went back to when a time in my life that I was deeply embarrassed and ashamed of and I saw that experience again but this time I saw it from a new angle and when I saw it from this new angle I realized that it wasn't as shameful as like I had thought, you know, it was one of those experiences where I had like actively tried to forget. And I think I'd pretty well forgotten it. And then all of a sudden I took mushrooms and it was just like, remember this? And it was just right there in my face again. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> why this? And then I saw it again from this new angle. And I thought, and I, I just started laughing. I was like, Oh, this isn't something that I need to be like, deeply embarrassed of and ashamed of and you try to forget it's a funny thing that happened when I was younger when I was just trying to figure out life and like it was just funny to me and it it, that experience healed me not only from that experience not only from the shame of that experience but from so much other shame in my
0: life and um uh yeah so so I think that is a really cool story because um i i can totally relate to that i know what it feels like to hold shame for a long time and then finally release it and and really move on from that and i feel like that's something that most people need in society because there's not there's not too many people out there that just kind of live shame free and just do whatever they want you know there's things that people do they're not proud of and it helps to move on from that so how How has that changed your perspective, changed your decision-making, changed your life since having that experience?
1: Um, I would say anytime in life, you can live it with less shame. That's going to be a pretty big game changer for you, you know? And uh, so for me, it was all of a sudden being able to not carry so much shame around was just so healing for me. You know, it just, it made me, gave me more love for myself. And I think anytime you increase your love for yourself, you also will increase your love for people around you. And uh, and so it definitely did that for me. I love myself more and I had more understanding for myself and more empathy for myself. <laughs> Can you have empathy for yourself? Isn't that? <laughs> I, I absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, it increased my empathy for myself and thus helped me increase
0: my empathy for others around me. Awesome. I, you know, I can definitely relate to that. I, I do believe that, uh, I mean, as far as I view the world is that the world does come through my perception, right? So like you, you mentioned this concept of having more some self-empathy for yourself, right? If you can do that. Well, I mean, technically that's the only way to do it. If you're having empathy for other people, it's because you have empathy for yourself. You wouldn't be able to have empathy for another person if you couldn't make that part of your perception filters. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, that's, that's something that, you know, absolutely is required. And there's some people that might say that really the only person you need to focus on is yourself. And then it will naturally flow into other people because once you build that model of the world for yourself, it's really easy to see other people in that light if you see yourself in that light. And so I think that's kind of also where shame comes from is when you, when you see the world outside a little bit different than what it is inside and that you hope that you aligned more with what you see outside and what you want it to be outside with what's inside. And you don't want people to know, you know, it's like, I don't want people to know that I'm this person or, you know what I mean? So I wanted to ask you, Jake too, along with these experiences, right? um, Tell us a little bit about your religious upbringing, your religious background leading up to this so that we get, more of a full context of like leading into this
1: yeah for sure um so i was raised uh mormon Uh grew up my whole life in it uh, served a mission in sao paulo brazil um, and was very active in it up until i was 30. so that was three years ago and uh, at 30 is when i started Uh, you know, I'd always had like different questions that I couldn't quite find answers to, and I would just, you know, put them on the shelf as they say, and, um, and try and, you know, just go on and hope that I would find the answer eventually. And, um, and then at 30, I had a really interesting experience where I started seeing a therapist and the therapist asked me one day, he, he said, uh, why do you hate yourself? And and I, I had never said that I hated myself to him. He just picked that up, you know, from the other things I had said. And uh and when he asked me that question, I was I was pretty like caught off guard. And so I kind of responded with a joke and I said, well, I don't hate myself. I just know that I'm a piece of shit <laughs> and which was kind of a joke, but also real, you know, it was very like, uh, and so he asked, you know, well, how do you know you're a piece of shit? <laughs> and, um, and I kept thinking about that over the next month or so. And, I kept thinking about how he was right, that I, I was, I did hate myself. And, um, and I was, I remembered that Christ said the most important commandment is to love, you know, love God, love your fellow man as yourself and thus love yourself. (laughs) And I, I couldn't believe that somehow I had strayed so far from love that I was to the point of hate, you know, and I hated myself. And, um, and so I just really started wanting to, you know, obey Christ's most important commandment of love. And so I kind of took a step back and was just going through everything in my life, trying to figure out like what has caused me, how did I get here, and how can I get out of here? You know, how can I get out of this place of, of hate and get to a place of love? And um, and as I, you know, was seeking and reading and praying and everything like that, um, I. I realized that having bishops tell me that I wasn't worthy for uh, a good, a decade of my life. Um, I mean, off and on, I wasn't ever like, you know, I was a virgin at 30 and everything. I was a 30 year old virgin, 10 years away from having a movie made about me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I, I had been trying so hard to do everything, you know, and, and I still was, you know, I'd, ha- I'd be, have a bishop tell me I wasn't worthy for the next month or the next two months. And then at some point in that next month or two months, they would say, you know, I'd mess up again. And they'd say, all right, you're not worthy again for another month or two. And then that went on for, you know, a decade of my life. And having someone constantly tell you you're not good enough to go in God's house and also feeling like God was telling me you're not good enough to come in my house. You know, I just, uh, I I hated myself you know, and I, I didn't know how to fix that. I didn't know how to make, help like get God to like love me, you know, cause it just, it just didn't feel like God loved me when he wouldn't let me in his house. You know, Like, like my dad has been mad at me before, like my earthly dad, and he's never told me I can't come in his house you know and no matter how many times I've messed up and how big I've messed up in life like my earthly dad has always let me in his house and it just I realized that if my earthly dad is that good God has to be at least that good of a dad you know and so I just realized that God is so much more loving than I ever thought and and you know for so long I've been focusing on don't sin instead of focusing on
0: love and so you brought up a lot of points actually that um just like a week ago in church actually i was at church and someone was saying like um this comment that was like do you think the men in the church really understand the kind of priesthood they have and what's possible with that power and and these kind of questions and some people started making comments well I mean, yeah, if they like lived the way they should and really did the things they're supposed to do, then they could have the power in their life. They got to be worthy to hold that and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I raised my hand and I said, listen, I don't think worthiness really matters that much um, <clears throat> because it's set in stone. I mean, it's like, like who? think about it, right? How silly would it be to argue worthiness when God already gave his son to all of us? Like, how, how are we not worthy? Right. Prove prove to me that we're not worthy of God's love. Prove to me that we're not worthy of being in his presence when he gives us the greatest gifts and and literally the greatest gifts that he can imagine or do. Right. So they're always being given. And I I told him, I said, you know, here's an issue with the church, right? Like people are leaving the church, I think, over this issue. Because for me, literally, I don't give a crap what someone did throughout the week. I don't care. Like if they're at church, I don't care. It's like happy to see you, you know, it doesn't matter to me at all because you're right, like those great commandments, usually when I work with clients, um, I get a lot of LDS clients that come to me and we'll start talking and I'll bring up, you know, those great commandments you talked about. And I said, I really only think there's three commandments. And I'll mention that scripture that you mentioned where it's, you know, love God with all your heart, my mind, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll say that like, but that's only two commandments. And I say, are you sure? they say well love god love your neighbor i'm like you're forgetting the third love yourself right because ultimately at that point you will experience the gospel of jesus christ right it goes back to this concept where i said self-empathy right it's it's you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself and you cannot love god until you love yourself because if you don't love god or if you don't love yourself you can't love god because you're his creation and by not loving yourself you're not loving God's creations. And so it puts you in a bind where it's impossible to feel good. It's impossible to actually use the gospel of Jesus Christ because that shame is a barrier between Christ being able to help. So it has nothing to do. Like for me, if like going through a worthiness interview, well, it's technically called a temple recommend interview, right? It's, it's not a worthiness interview um at least not called that you know in the naming. at the very end they say do you consider yourself worthy to of god right i would say yes every time no matter what i did <laughs> because like i haven't said this on the podcast it's because i believe so strongly that i am worthy no matter what no matter what happens or what i did i am worthy of god's house no matter what now Having said that, I could say, but do you recommend me, right? Because this interview doesn't determine my worth, right? This is a temple recommend interview, right? It's like, I know I'm a worthy person to be with God, but do you recommend me? Are you going to sign off on what this interview is about? So that's how my perspective has changed. Um, growing up in my youth, I was very similar to you. I mean, I very similar experiences right and i just i came to this realization that i didn't like myself you know it was like it's difficult to uh want to continue like trying you know what i mean it's like so much easier to give up because it's like just this constant cycle of you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough life is hard right and um ultimately I came to the conclusion that it doesn't make sense to believe that about yourself. So there are some things like fundamentally about the church that I totally disagree with. I mean, I think this concept of worthiness, I don't even think that word should be used unless it's like, you're worthy to be God's child. And that's like the only way it's used. You know what I mean? Like, I think it does more damage than good. And you know, you highlighted that situation very well. Now at the same time, I believe that righteousness, maybe is more of what we're talking about, is living righteously, keeping the commandments of God, is a result of having a strong relationship with Him. And you can't have a strong relationship with God if you constantly feel crappy about yourself. You can't have a strong relationship with Him if you don't feel worthy to be in His presence. Because, I mean, think about this in a dating aspect, right? You see someone, like, you know, for you... You you like girls, right? I'm just I'm just okay, <laughs> okay. You see someone really pretty over there, someone really beautiful, and you're like, crap, she's out of my league. Like you're probably not gonna approach her compared to someone that you feel like is more in your league. If we always think God is out of our league, we'll never approach Him. And so that's that's where um in my mind, I'm I just see there's a lot of limiting beliefs in the church that have been picked up. In fact, this might be interesting to you. Worthiness interview started with Brigham Young and they were mostly a way to govern the people in Utah because there was no government at the time. And so the questions were things like, have you stolen from your neighbor's property? Or have you plowed your neighbor's field? Have you taken their donkey? Like these are literal questions. Like these are the actual questions. This is like really fun. So and then it just kind of persisted and stayed around and like even the word of wisdom was something that was like uh before the word of wisdom requirement was put into the temple recommend interviews. The many of the brethren were drinking. There was there's actually like breweries in Salt Lake and they had some of the best liquor in the West. It was right in downtown Salt Lake. Brigham Young started a few. And eventually one of the apostles or the prophet at the time, I believe it was Heber J. Grant, I believe who it was. He looked out at the audience of people and there was smoke all in the tabernacle and it was smelling nasty and people were drunk. And he decided then he's like, I'm just going to put him in the recommend interview okay. right there. So he said from now on it was at general conference. He just decided from now on is going to be in the temple recommend interview. Okay. So the temple recommend interview is kind of to me, like I don't, uh, I don't necessarily find it that inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish the questions were more like, uh, do you show faith in Jesus Christ every day? Are you pre- repenting like constantly? Like is repentance on your mind all the time? Mm-hmm. And um, other than issues like child abuse or murder or, you know, like things like that, I don't, I think basically everything needs to be left out other yeah. than that. I think it's just, do you live the gospel of Jesus Christ? And do you want to live it better, you know, constantly? And for me, that that is an essential thing that I think could be adjusted, but, you know, I'm not in charge.
1: Yeah, dude, yeah, so many good things there. Um, Yeah, one thing that's so fascinating, and this is a question that I asked one of my bishops, was uh, Christ said the most important commandment, love God, love your fellow man, love yourself. Why is the word love not used one time in the recommend interview questions? (laughs) like, (laughs) how is it that the recommend interview isn't? Do you love God? Do you love your fellow man? And do you love yourself? Like that, to me, that's the question. Those are the questions. The, to, me,
0: to me, those are the only commandments.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's that reminds me of a great uh, point. Um, there's a the verse that says, if ye love me, keep my commandments, right? And people love to love to quote that. Um, and I was thinking about that verse one day, and I thought, that's, that's kind of a manipulative verse. Like, that's kind of... <laughs> Like, uh, like if my dad said, if you love me, you will mow the lawn. And then I didn't mow the lawn. He was like, you don't love me. (laughs) I'd be like, okay, that's not what that means. Like (laughs) that is you are manipulating love and trying to like, I don't know. It's just weird. And it's not accurate and it's manipulative. And I don't think that God works in manipulation (laughs) personally. And, um, and so I started looking into that verse more and I looked into like the translation of that verse. And I realized that there's a more accurate translation of the verse that says, if ye love me, then you will keep my commandments, <laughs> which Kenny's giving me a thumbs up right now, <laughs> which, which means that the point isn't to, to prove to God that you love him by keeping the commandments. The point is to get good at loving God. And when you do that, then keeping the commandments will naturally follow. And so if we just focused on the love aspect, then, then you know, whatever commandments, you you can run any commandment or anything in your life through a love filter and be like, is this a loving thing to do? And so to me, I don't need the 10 commandments or any of the commandments. I just need to run everything through the filter of, is this a
0: loving thing to do or not? Absolutely agree. And um, I did an episode recently that was a lot about this because the idea and the concept in that episode was that obedience is a result of loving God. That is something that happens when you love someone. I mean, think about it in this context, uh, marriage, right? Or a really deep relationship. You, your fidelity to that person is a result of the love you have for them, right? The loyalty and the closeness and the connection that you build with that person is a result of the love that you have and this is where a lot of people go astray because they start buying into that manipulative concept right because i like you i went in the scripture i was like this scripture is baloney how it's translated <laughs> like the, i know this is a mistranslation and i go in and it and it's uh you know i saw the exact same thing as you and there's also another scripture in the new testament that's in one of the books of you know that john wrote i can't remember exactly where it was maybe Ephesians or something like that. And it talks about how um, you can know if a man loves God, if he keeps his commandment, right? So there was a little bit of explanation there. So that made it really easy for me to go back to that scripture in context and be like, okay, this is actually what Jesus told them because it's showing up over here in a different way for some person over there said, this would be a great place to omit some information and make it so we can control all the people like that's that's literally how i view what went down in that situation because it's really easy to take those words of jesus christ that are misconstrued just a tiny bit and it can make a huge difference in meaning and the thing is you the way i view the mind uh because i do a lot of like mental work mindset work and i pay attention to how people assemble their world and how they make choices and what motivates them. You will never be motivated when you're conflicted. And when someone is conflicted about being righteous, they'll never be motivated enough to actually do it. And because the thing is, what will be uprooted out of their heart is the desire to do evil. And that can only happen after they've had love for God and God has healed them and shown that love back and built a relationship with them. Then afterward, they have a different perspective of the world, of themselves and of God, which is called repentance. And then they live righteously. So great. I mean, this is a great conversation. I want to get back to where we started in this conversation, too. So you're at this point, you know, you went to a therapist, you started seeing in the church, it it was like all these things that you grew up with, kind of like a source of pain, a source of shame, a source of. Some people might even say trauma or like some people even say it's an abuse cycle that they go through because it's this constant degrading of the human psyche over and over and over and over. Now, I don't necessarily believe that the church does that on purpose or that it is something that is, you know, the intended consequence of that. I think in my heart of hearts, I know these people just want everyone to be more righteous and this is how resourceful they've been at going about doing that. And I think it's a misapplication of the gospel of Jesus Christ in many instances, especially with youth, right? Being young and not really knowing any better. Um, so we're, we're at this point and you're you're kind of, seems like you're on your way out of the church as you discover this. And then what what was after that? What Because to me, you're a spiritual person, right? Because just because you leave a church, you don't stop being a spiritual person. You don't stop being a person that's looking for revelation, that's looking for insight. Tell me about that transition and about that journey.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, So one thing I wanted to touch on that you had mentioned earlier that I forgot is talking about how worthiness doesn't matter. Um, uh, When you're in a bishop's office and they tell you that you're not worthy, you know, I was raised to, to believe them and to trust these men and to believe that they were speaking for God. And so when they said, I wasn't worthy, it mattered so much, you know, and like, and I didn't know how to just turn that off and be like, Oh, I'm not going to trust you anymore. I think that worthiness doesn't matter. Like, I don't know To, to me, it mattered so much. And it, and it hurt so much every single time I was told. And, um, and trying so many different things, trying so hard to be worthy, and then constantly being told I wasn't worthy. And and it wasn't, it, I think what I needed wasn't to realize that worthiness didn't matter. It was to realize that <laughs> that I, I speak, I, I can speak to God just as much as these men can. And I should trust what I get from God even more than what these men are saying is coming from God. And I needed to, to learn that God is within me and that I can, I have so much access to God. And um, so in my journey, I decided that I needed to do an experiment. I, I, I needed to try life outside the church for 30 days. <laughs> that, was, that was the experiment. And I ran it past several people, got their opinions on it. <laughs> Everyone hated the idea. <laughs> my parents, my siblings, my friends, everyone in the church hated the idea of me trying 30 days without the church. But I, I, I felt like the church is true. And I was like, worst case scenario, I'll leave, I'll try life outside of it. I'll drink, I'll smoke, I'll <laughs> watch rated movies, I'll, you know, all the things. And then I'll come back at the end of it. And I was so sure that'd i be miserable outside the church and that I would come back at the end of it. And I would feel like, uh, like, uh, like, Oh, I need the church so much. Life is miserable. Life is awful without it. And I would come back and I'd have this dope. And i the younger story where I would come back and be like, I've been there and I'm back. And, and this is where happiness is. And I would have these like dope, Talks to give in church and like that's what was going to happen, and um and uh and so I was so terrified to like start the experiment. You know, I'd been raised my whole life to believe that outside the church, I'd be damned, I'd be miserable, my life would be awful. But I I also knew that this was the only way for me to truly know if the church was true. I'd been praying for so long, and I'd had cool spiritual experiences, but. So many people outside the church have cool spiritual experiences and so i just couldn't trust that as like that means that this one is the only true one and i just kept trying to figure out like okay either i need god to show up and tell me or i i need to just try life outside of it and then i'll know you know the only way to know what flavor of ice cream is your favorite is to try the other flavors of ice cream. And then you can figure out, oh, this one's my favorite. And so I was just like, I need to go 30 days and just try other ways of living life. And also, it's just a way for me to like hit the reset button on my beliefs and just be like, okay, God, guide me. Like, I'm I, I, These are all things that I've just been hearing my entire life, and I'm figuring out that a lot of these things have actually been more harmful than they have been helpful. And so let's just hit the reset button on it, and I'll just start at zero, and God you guide me. And so as I was like, trying to like find the courage to leave, um, I, I I was struggling to find it. And then one day I was listening to a podcast by Dax, Dax Shepard. Uh, it's called Armchair Expert. And he had a guest on and uh, she said something and then she paused and was like, well, actually, it wasn't really like that. It was more like, and Dax goes, it's okay. You're allowed to make mistakes here. And actually mistakes are encouraged. And when he said that, I just felt God say that to me in that moment and say, "It's a, that goes for you too, Jake. It's okay. You're allowed to make mistakes here. And actually mistakes are encouraged because that's how we learn. And in that moment, I like felt the confirmation from God that like, oh, this is what I should do is I need to do this experiment and uh, so that I might know and so the next day i walked into a coffee shop i walked up to the barista (laughs) and i said hi my name's jake (laughs) i was mormon until yesterday and i've never drank coffee before (laughs) what kind should i get and she laughed and was like oh my gosh that's so awesome okay so what do you like do you like cinnamon do you like honey like and she goes off asking all these questions and, and she made me a drink and I took it and I walked outside and I took a sip and it was amazing. It tasted so good. And then I immediately said a prayer and I was like, God, is this okay? And that was kind of my plan for the experiment of just like, I'm going to try all the things. And I'm going to ask God, is this okay? And, and when I said that prayer and I said, God, is this okay? I felt God say. I don't care what you drink, go help my children. And it was just like, holy cow, like God is so much more dope than I ever thought. <laughs> like, like, that is so awesome. And it just like changed my perspective on things. And and thus the experiment began. And um, yeah, I don't know if you want to ask me questions or you want me to just keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll ask uh, some more questions. I, I love that story, by the way, because I mean, I feel just from my own perspective, I can imagine after this life, and God's talking to us, and he's like, remember when you guys were all stressed out about drinking coffee? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, And what was really going on is that someone in your life was in poverty or in need and could have used your help, and you were too busy worrying about whether or not you drank coffee that day, right? And and I think that really resonates with what you were saying because. What we make a problem sometimes is not a problem and it's super insignificant. <laughs> and and I love your perspective because, you know, as you bring up going back to those worthiness interview questions, right? It's like, we don't say, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love yourself? Right? Like those are really essential questions in order to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like those are very important. And in, in my own understanding, like I've said this before on the podcast, if I were, if I were the devil, I would do my work behind the pulpit because it's totally undetectable, right? Like it, it's really easy to say what you want there. I would do it in a bishop's office if I were the devil. I would do it where there's like the most uh, trusted settings to do something. And I would do it in a way that nobody knew it was me, even the person behind the pulpit, even the bishop in the bishop office. And I would do it by convincing people that they that God doesn't love them just the way they are and i would do it by saying you're not good enough to live with god because of the sins that you've made and i would keep them from the truth that this whole life that we're experiencing pretty much a simulation and it's meant to have you're meant to have fun and enjoy it like you're not meant to beat yourself up all day and every day because if you're beating yourself up and you're not enjoying it then you're less likely to see people in need you're less likely to see yourself in need you're less likely to create what you want to create you're less likely to make the impact that you want to make in this world because you don't believe you're worthy of that impact. And so for me, like I, I have a similar, very similar uh, experience with what you described when we, when you talked about leaving the church, just, I didn't leave the church. I left it possibly mentally for a bit. I could say where I needed to step back and look at the church and be like, okay, what is true and what is false? And for me, I was like, I like this community of people that come here and I like the people that are here. And I realize sometimes these people say garbage. And I'm totally okay with saying that on this podcast. I'll say it to anybody's face because yeah. I think it's true. And there's a suffering culture in the church. There's like a worthiness requirement culture in the church. There's a you left the church. And I'm like, who cares? It doesn't like why are like the church is gonna die when we die too. Like that is we will leave the church at one point whether we're alive or dead we're going to leave it the thing that we shouldn't leave is christ is god that's who we don't leave and so when i'm in ward council and stuff and people are like well i'm worried they're going to fall away from the church i'm like who cares who cares about that nobody cares about that like don't fall away from god right like that's that's where it is so um i wanted to ask like that that experience is so fun, right? Like going to the barista and getting some coffee. So after after God said that to you, did you uh did you change your perspective on how you were going to do your experiment? Did the experiment change a little bit when when you felt that communication from God when you're like, "Whoa, he's way more dope than I ever imagined," right? Like did it did your mindset change a little bit about that? And if so, what was that? Uh yeah, I would
1: say it did change my my mindset um to just being like it it made me realize how much I don't know God was right there ready to like talk to me and it helped me realize like like that for my whole life I had had a middleman between God and I where that middleman uh was the church and everything uh, that I said to God or God said to me, I always had to filter it through the church. And if it was different than what the church said, I would be like, oh, I must've heard wrong, you know? And in that moment, when, when God said that, I realized I could have, God could have never said that to me when I was in the church. Cause I would have been like, oh, that's, that's wrong that the church doesn't teach that. So this must be wrong. And so all of a sudden this middleman was cut out between me and God. And my connection with God grew so strong. Like, so quickly and so strong where I could trust that God was within me and that I was able to communicate with God and I was able to feel what is right and what is wrong. And that a lot of the things that I thought were right and wrong were different in God's eyes. And, um, and so I continued the experiment and about two weeks into the experiment is when, I was able to see the church from an outside perspective. You know, I had been riding the bus my entire life. And for the first time I got off the bus and I could see what it was. And it wasn't uh, what I what I thought it was. Um, It was something that that was a buffer between God and I, you know, I don't I don't want to make it sound, make the church sound bad in any way. Cause I, I love the church. I love the people in the church. Um, but I realized that, uh, that, that it was, it was, a, it's a thing that makes you want to be dependent on it instead of being dependent on God. And it makes you want to trust it instead of trusting that God is within you and that I can speak directly with God and that, um, and that I need to follow God within me instead of God as portrayed by them. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, makes perfect sense. I, I mean, this goes back to the comment where I say, like, people are worried people fall away from the church. And I'm like, how's that a problem that they fall away from the church? Like, that, that's not a problem. And like I said, like, I've, I went through a lot of that thinking process while being in the church. Because I like for my own person, my own personal like worldview is that I didn't feel like I needed to step away physically to figure it out, if that makes sense. And I agree with you. I I do feel like um, there are two ways to understand the church. There are two separate ways. And uh, people that leave, I see them leave a, very similar situations like you have. And of course, I feel like. If that is how you view the church and that is your sole experience and and you realize that you weren't getting as much benefit as you were getting harm, like there's nothing wrong with stepping away and figuring out your life because your life is worth figuring out. It's worth letting yourself love yourself and understand. And there's some people that even say like, don't judge people for leaving the church because you don't, like, you might not be aware of the church that they left. And this is into the concept of, like, how do you understand the church, right? So, like, for me, the way I understand, I I say this now, the church cannot control me. There's no control the church has over me. They can tell me what to do. I'll just say no if I don't want to do it. And I'll disagree if I want to disagree. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally fine with that. And I don't think that's a problem because... I go to church to build a relationship with God. I don't go to church to build a relationship with the church. And if the church is in the way, then I just move it aside. And that's, that, is, that has become the new way I see the church, is that I don't care about any of that other stuff anymore. I just care about what is my spiritual connection to Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost. What is that connection that I, and can I talk to them directly? And when I do talk to them directly, then I get better guidance and advice than if I talk to someone in the church for me, you know, that's doing it for me. And that's, that's a new way I see it. And I started actually, when I shifted my mindset, I started seeing layers and layers and layers of spirituality in the church that is totally hidden and secret to people that aren't able to see it this way. Like, for example, like temple ordinances and how those are done. And um, with my background in hypnosis, with my background in like altered states and trance and like all this stuff, I could see it for what it is. Whereas before it was kind of like a cool place to go to and only the most worthy people got to be there, you know? And that's like kind of a damaging idea. And uh, instead it was like now it's more like this. I'm going to go there because it's going to put me in an altered mental state where I can actually connect with God better than I could normally. Because of the process of how they do the temple ordinances, because of the how they do the ceremonies, all of this could have been designed by a hypnotist architect, but probably not even as good by him. Like It is so sound in hypnotic principles that it's like, I'm sorry, but like, I don't care how educated Joseph Smith was. He could not have come up with it. Like it's, it is like knowing hypnosis and how good it is. I couldn't have come up with this. And there's very few people in this world that are experts that could have like designed this whole experience that is the temple. And so I start seeing everything in that way, right? Where prayer became different to me too. And instead of being like, I'm going to pray because I feel like I should, or I'm going to pray because I'm not worthy. I need God's help. It turned into this. I said, what do I want to create? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to create with God. And we're going to communicate <laughs> and build a relationship together. And it's a different, because like I said before, it's like, don't judge people to leave because you don't know what church they left. Because like in your instance, I would say it was definitely doing more harm than good. And like I've, I lived to that and I realized the church was doing more harm than good in my life, right? And uh, one time my son, he came, he was with me, we were fixing the car and he came up to me and he said, So, and my son's only four. He was like, so the Holy Ghost is a spirit. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and I have a spirit. He's like, and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, just the Holy Ghost is a better spirit than mine. And I was like, no, no, it's not. Absolutely not. If anything, you're the better spirit. (laughs) It's like what I told him. So like, these are things as a parent now too I want to direct my kids to understand like what these concepts actually are and what the true nature of them actually is. So, so now you're, you're doing the experiment, right? You're in there. At what point do you start looking for more spirituality, right? You're out of the church. You're still looking for spirituality. It seems building your connection with God. What are those steps and where did it lead you?
1: Yeah. um, uh, Yeah. It, it started to, for, for a time it, felt really uh, scary and and lonely, you know, that I was like, I felt like I was kind of floating through space and time and it was just like, oh, I, I used to be so firm and like, these are the things that I believe and this is the plan of salvation everything like that and all of a sudden, everything was up in the air and I was like, I don't know anything and I don't know what... What the purpose is, and I don't know anything. And it was it was a it was a scary time for about uh, I don't know for uh, a month or so where it was so there was the month of the experiment, and then the following month is when it was like everything became up in the air. And and I started uh, reading the New Testament more and reading other books by different uh, Christian authors. Richard Rohr, um, uh, Love Wins by, dang it, what's his name? Shoot, the author of Love Wins. Um, I'll think of it. Um, and I started reading a lot of other, like just different books on like spirituality and different things. And um, I started learning a lot about God and a lot about Jesus and a lot about like just different ways of looking at life. And and pretty soon my feet felt back on the ground. And I felt like very confident that of those, you know, going back to the three most important commandments of love and that whether there's a God or not, um, I think that I will never regret living my life, focusing on love. And, uh, and I believe that there is a God and that God is love. And, um, and, uh, it was during this time of like seeking that I, I started to go back to church. um, because I wanted to help the church become more loving and after trying that for about a month uh, I realized that it was it was so much was such a bigger bite than I could chew and that there was so much to be done and I also felt like very frustrated by a lot of things in the church and uh, I felt like when I would bring up things in Sunday school and others quorums that, I was bringing more contention into the room than I was like actually being helpful. And I didn't want to bring contention into the room. And, and I also just realized I needed to heal. You know, I, I needed to, I needed more space away from the church, you know, cause it, it had hurt me and I needed to heal from it before I could go back and, and help it. And so I, I stepped away again and, um, I was just trying to heal and come closer to God and get better at love. And and I felt like I've made a lot of progress in that. And it was around that time that I started uh, talking with my friend about mushrooms and tried them. and Like I said, I've done three journeys on mushrooms. Uh, The first one was uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago. And the second one was this year in January. And the third one was uh, about a month ago or two months ago. Um, and cause it's not, it's not an addictive substance and it's not something that I rely on for my spirituality. It is uh, a check-in point for me um, whenever I feel prompted to, you know, when I feel like God needs to say something to me that I can't grasp and understand in this realm, I can take those, and I can go into that realm, and and God speaks to me there, and it is very different, and when God does speak to me, it's a female voice, it is the divine feminine who speaks to me, for whatever reason, um, it's not the father, it's the mother who speaks to me, and she teaches me, she's taught me so many cool things about myself, and has just reinforced in me this need for for love and uh and this need for me to focus on love and to help my brothers and sisters here become more loving and um and I can get into the specifics of like things that were said, but I'll let you talk for now.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing. And that's that's really interesting. I haven't ever met someone yet that has a relationship with the divine feminine like that that you were describing. Um Most, I mean, I've talked about this in earlier episodes when I talk about, like I did a whole episode, it was called Heavenly Mother, You're Really There. Mm -hmm. And I talked about the history of the Divine Feminine and how she was part of ancient Israelite tradition, but disappeared at some point throughout society and uh, had roots in... um, I mean, ancient Egyptian religion had a divine feminine named Hathor, was her name, and she came in on lions, she would ride in on lions. Uh, and before that, there was a Sumerian tradition with Ishtar, and Ishtar was a divine feminine character. And the Israelite um, divine feminine was called Asherah, was her name. And it kind of like Asherah shares a meaning with like a wooden rod. So if you think of uh, Moses using a staff or a wooden rod, or in war the the chief would have this wooden rod like a staff that would guide the people into battle. And Asherah, so the divine feminine going back, was equated to a tree, essentially a tree of life, and the divine feminine would give fruit to man, would bring up nutrition from the ground and give fruit through the tree and it was originally this tree so there's some symbolism that comes out of there sometimes Ashra is depicted with a dove symbol right in sumerian culture there is like a tree of life symbolism and there's also this staff right this wooden staff and you think of moses putting up a staff in the wilderness with the snake on it um, so that people would look and be healed right so the symbolism's there. It's all really misconstrued, and in church culture, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna give props where props are due. It's the only Christian Christian religion that even talks about a heavenly body, right. Like there is no other Christian religion that has a belief about a divine feminine, none. So there's one thing there. Um, on the other side, it's also like, don't think about her. God's protecting her. Don't pray to her. Those kind of things, and. Um, I don't know about the praying. I have no idea what it's actually, why they would say to do it or not do it. The thing that's funny to me is when they say that God's protecting Heavenly Mother, and I'm like, she's, she's a God too, isn't she? Does she really need protecting from us? Like, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> like, it's like, if I told my wife right now, I was like, I need to protect you from the kids. She might be like, well, you can give me a break, but nobody needs to protect me from, you know? She's like, I'm in charge of this situation, right? So it to me, it's ridiculous that, you know, there are those some of those funny beliefs. And it is refreshing to hear from someone talk about that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, just some questions that I have personally about this, about mushrooms, using them and all that kind of stuff. Cause I had a conversation with someone recently and we were talking about this cause he's like, you seem like someone would be in psychedelics, just like the things you talk about, <laughs> like the way you understand the world, like you you're deep into the mind, like all these experiences. And I told him, I said, if I'm going to have those experiences, I want, I want them like just naturally, like authentically for myself. Mm-hmm. So some things that I'm into that I'm learning is like breath work and learning how to hold my breath and like how to pace my breath and those kind of things to create some of those experiences. Um, the, and, and I told him, I said, you know, like in my own concept, the way I view it, who's more powerful, right? Is, is it the mushroom that creates the experience or is it my mind that creates the experience, right? Because the mushroom just would open my mind, right? It's, and so hypothetically, I wouldn't need the mushroom because my mind is capable of doing it without the mushroom. Because really, the I mean, a fungus is a living organism. Um, and it's quite fascinating that uh, trees communicate with their seeds through a fungal network, which is really cool. And there's a lot of interesting things about fungus and that, that we've, we're just barely learning about, You know, like it's really an emerging field throughout the world. My perspective is I don't see anything wrong with someone taking mushrooms. I don't care, right? Like someone can do it as much as they want. Um, I don't see it as an addictive substance like uh, heroin cocaine or anything like that i don't see it like that i i don't see a problem for someone to try that out the perspective that i have is i want to be able to create that with my own mind right so here's here's like now that you know that frame about how i view one one question i have is when doing a mushroom trip right when doing one how much control do you have over the experience right are you able to ask questions throughout it Direct where you want to go throughout that experience Um, because, and we'll get into this too, and a follow-up question is going to be, what is that experience like? What is going into like a spiritual realm in your mind, right? So let's start with this first one. Like what kind of level of uh, control do you have in the experience? Like conscious control is really what it is. Probably depends on dosage and amount. Um, but I, I want to hear from your perspective and experience. Yeah.
1: Great, great question. Um, so I've also done a uh, breath work and done some like very intense breath work sessions with like, uh, a shaman there guiding a group of us on like a breathing, um, a breath work journey. And it was extremely powerful. It was a beautiful experience. I got so much out of it. Um, and it took me to a different place, you know, a different realm, you could say. Um, and I was able to uh, heal a lot of things in my life and like just have a beautiful experience there. Mushrooms takes me, takes me to a very different realm. Um, and I think that there's all sorts of different realms of consciousness. I mean, you talk about, um, uh, what's it called? Why am I blanking on it? Um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Trances and hypnosis and everything like that, which those can take you to a different state as well, you know, and I think that mushrooms takes you to a unique place that I, I could never, um, I could never get there on my own. I don't think Um, I was able to get to a place with the breath work, but it was a very different place from uh, psychedelics or mushrooms. Now, That said to answer your question, how much control do I have? That's such an interesting and insightful question because that was one thing that like I realized quite a bit is when in breath work, I was able to get to a place and realize like, Oh, okay, this is where I am. Um, Okay. Now I'm going to go here. And I felt like I had a pretty good amount of control. Now with mushrooms, it is a lot less control. It is. I'm. Um, it's very much for me, at least. It's. I'm on the the roller coaster, and I'm going where this roller coaster is going to take me, <laughs> and which is why it was able to like take me my first time to a place that I had tried to forget, and I didn't ever want to go again. It was like, no, nope, we're gonna go back here because you need to see this from a different angle. And um, that said, I also am like totally aware of what's going on around me while I'm on mushrooms, like. Uh, done them like with people. I knew exactly what everyone was doing. I wasn't like seeing a dragon come through the wall. And then also not like jumped up and tried to fight it. But really it was my friend, like nothing like that. I'm very aware of everything that's going on. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, I always accompany it with music and I have certain music that I listen to, uh, just for mushroom journeys. I kind of keep that music sacred just for those journeys. And, um, and, uh, And I'm able to kind of just pause and be like, I need to go to the bathroom now. And I can just kind of pause the experience and go to the bathroom and come back and sit down and close my eyes and just drop back into it. And so I'm very aware of everything that's going on, everything like that. But where I'm going mentally and like the things that mother would teach me in those journeys was uh, it's always something that I am not expecting. I am not controlling. I am getting things from her. Um, Like to give an example, um, she she told me, um, uh, talked to me about how much I worry about what other people think and how I need to let go of that. And I need to focus on um, what I think is right and what I feel I should be doing instead of what other people think I should be doing. And honestly, it's like because of that advice from her, that's why I'm sitting here right now normally I'd be so scared to talk about mushrooms and be like, oh, my gosh, people are going to think that I'm a druggie. People are going to think that I'm weird or loopy or I don't know, like all number of judgments that I'm like so strayed far from God that I'm now doing drugs. Like, you know, there's all like these such negative things about it. And I would normally be for so long, I was way too scared to ever come on a podcast and and talk about it. But after that experience, it was like, no, this is something that I feel has helped me become a more spiritual person, come closer to God and that I feel like I should talk about it. And so I'm, I'm
0: going to. Yeah. Been, once again, I'm really glad to have you on the show. I, I reached, you know, after the conversation, I said, why don't you just come on and let's talk about it. You know, cause I feel like we had so much to talk about um, just having both very open minds, but conflicting viewpoints and opinions is always very engaging for people to come in and listen to. And I said, may as well do it in front of an audience. So I asked you, I was like, I don't know if he's going to say yes, but, but you totally said yes. And I was super excited because it does take a, a level of vulnerability to, I mean, being formally LDS and then coming and saying, well, done mushrooms a few times and this is what my experience is you know i mean you've done mushrooms like three times you know it's not like you know there's there's people that i've known in my life that were like totally addicted to ecstasy for like years and they like just ran that train for a while you know so it's it's uh yeah that's that's interesting i i asked the question about control because one thing is always very important to me in like spiritual experiences and, and I'm going to highlight something that you said, too, is that it seems like the benefit that you're saying, and I'm going to acknowledge this before I say what I say, but the benefit that you're saying is that losing the control actually allowed you to get to where you wanted to go because you weren't stopping it. So, so this is uh, one thing in hypnosis, we call it the critical faculty is what it's called. And someone who's a really, really good hypnotist will slowly remove that critical faculty, which is like preventing them from going deeper and deeper to where they want to go though in hypnosis um, they've done a ton of studies on it all hypnosis is self hypnosis so there's nothing that a hypnotist could do to totally take away choice like that that could never actually happen in hypnosis so in in this experience right to me where choice is valuable right and this is this is where you and I would have conflicting opinions because i say if i'm going to have a spiritual experience i want to be able to ask everything I want to in that moment. I want to be able to um, discover more. right? And I mean, we can look at Nephi's experience in the book of Mormon, right? He's like praying, right? And then he gets this vision and an angel appears to him, says, look, right. And he's looking at what it is and he's seeing a tree of life, right? And here's the tree of life again that we're talking about. Right. And uh, he's learning that it's the love of God. But he's always asking questions back and forth with the angel, right? He's like able to carry the conversation more in the direction that he wants. And um, I see that as a really cool outcome spiritually to be like ultimate. This is the dream to me, just to communicate it to you, right? So that you understand where i'm coming from because it's nothing about good or bad or right or wrong it's the dream to me is to be able to have these spiritual experiences anytime i want wherever i am and to direct them so that i get the most value out of them like that's the dream right that's like a really ideal situation i've heard some people like i uh sometimes spirituality spooks me a little bit even without the drugs like people just Normally, because I hear stories of people that had very similar experiences to Joseph Smith without drugs they're hearing the voice of god all the time and they're they feel like he's directing then they start seeing angels and they start seeing these things and then all of a sudden they're feeling like they need to kill their wife and that's that's a bit intense for me right like i understand that i live here in this reality and that there is also these kind of experiences are like a rapid way to access information that we access without being there so, if, so I'll give you an example, like Revelation, where you're just sitting, thinking, and pondering, all of a sudden an idea comes in your mind without being anywhere else but here, right? Whereas these kind of experiences, and could be similar to having a dream, especially lucid dreaming, right? You could have a dream, and then all of a sudden you're being taught all of these different things in the dream, and it's a really vivid visual, auditory, kinesthetic way of getting information, Right? So it, it can speed up the process of uh, having spiritual experiences and getting spiritual insight and spiritual knowledge. Uh, uh, but it shouldn't like, in my opinion, it shouldn't take over someone's life. They need to take what they learn and apply it to like everyday living life. And what, I've seen in the stories I've heard, like real stories, is that sometimes it takes over their life and they lose touch with reality completely. And uh, and that can be very dangerous in some instances because they start developing a distorted vision of who people are around them and all that kind of stuff. Not saying this is you at all, just so you know. Just this is my perspective, like some stories I hear. So even in the concept of without drugs, right? I'm like, how far do I go into this? So For me it's the choice right it's the being able to say like okay i'm ready for information (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and without needing a mushroom right like if i depend on the mushroom to get me there then i'm not quite as powerful as i think i am and i want to get to the point where it's like i just change my state of mind and then all of a sudden i'm there and i can get the information i want and then i come back and i say okay now i'm back in real life here's how I want to apply it and what I want to do. So that's why I asked the question because I want to know what kind of control is there, what kind of like ability to um, command information, to go where you want to go, to learn what you want to learn. And, and so far for you say, it's pretty much like you just go wherever it goes. Is, is that right? Um, yeah. Uh, I would say that
1: it's... Uh, I, Definitely do have a level of control in that. I definitely ask like the last two times when I've had mother speak to me, I've asked her so many questions and she's given me so many answers and it's been so cool. Um, And uh, so I definitely do have the ability to ask things. I guess it's when sometimes I'll, you'll see things and like have thoughts come into your mind and it can be scary at times. I had a good friend of mine who she was on mushrooms and all of a sudden she looked around and she saw three monsters in the room. And, you know, when you're on them, it's like, you don't, you know that this is part of the mushrooms, you know, you know that, Oh, I'm seeing these because of mushrooms. You don't actually believe that there are three monsters in the room, you know? And one important thing when on mushrooms is to stay curious where anytime, anything, you know, no matter where, what scene you're seeing, no matter what things come up, stay curious. And and she saw the three monsters. She was like, oh, wow, this is scary. And then she remembered, stay curious. And so she asked the monsters, who are you? And as she was looking at them, she all of a sudden recognized them. And she looked at the one and she said, you're my anxiety. And the monster nodded. And she looked at the other one and said, you're my depression. And the monster nodded. And she turned to the other one and said, you're my, uh, I can't remember what the third one was. Fear of, um, maybe it was just my fears, something like that. Um, but and it nodded, and she realized who they were, and, uh, started talking with them. She wasn't talking out loud; it was just a mental thing, you know. Um, I started asking them questions about why are they a part of her and why are they there, and they told her that they were trying to protect her. They were trying to help her, and she was able to like develop this like empathy and like love for these parts of her that she had hated her whole life, you know, that she had tried so hard to get rid of. And she was able to see them for what they were as things that were trying to help her. And then she was able to like calm them down and like uh, have more control over those aspects of her life after that. And I thought that was such a cool experience um for me it was like uh talking with mother and asking her questions and having her uh like tell me things that that no one else could possibly say to me and I'd be okay with you know like telling me truths about myself that I and I I won't get into the specifics of that um but because it felt it was so personal just for me um but one thing that she said to me the one time was she said um, people come to you and they like when they're hurting and and you say the same thing to every single person. You say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. That sounds really hard. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry you're you're going through this. And she's like, you have like that script in your head rehearsed and practiced. And every time someone comes to you and tells you about their problems, you say those exact same words. <laughs> Stop knock that off you need to try and feel what they're feeling and you need to go within yourself and you just say the words that i will put in your heart and you need to speak what you feel like you should say in those moments instead of what you've heard you're supposed to say in those moments and it was just like specific advice and i took it to heart and i kept like thinking about it and then uh Two weeks later, a friend of mine came over and was telling me about how he was very depressed and he felt like he didn't belong here. He felt like he didn't belong on earth. He said he felt like he was a puzzle piece that didn't belong in this puzzle. And he didn't know what to do about that. And I said to him, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. That sounds really hard. <laughs> and right when I said it, I remembered what mother had told me and I was like, Oh my gosh, nope. That's not what I'm supposed to say. What, say what's in your heart. What do I feel I should say right now? And I just blurted out, you're right. You don't belong here. And in my head, I was like, Oh crap, where do I go from here? <laughs> like, Why did I just say that? And I just kept going with the thought. And I told him, and, and I, I don't know how far I should go with it, but I, I told him That I had to put it in terms that he would agree with and he would understand. I said, look, when you break us all down, essentially, we're all stardust. You know, we're all dust from stars. That's what made the whole earth. And that's where we came from. And we're all just stardust. And I was like, I feel like I belong here because I think there's probably a lot of my stardust here. I was like, I think that you probably were made from stardust from clear across who knows where. I was like, so you're right. You probably don't belong here. You're probably surrounded by a lot of stardust that isn't your stardust. And so, and I mean, I had never thought about this beforehand. This is just me like making it up as I go and discovering it as I go. And um, and I told him that uh, the stardust, uh, that I was like, are there times when you do feel at home and you do feel like you belong? And he said, yeah, there are certain songs I listen to. There's certain like things that just like, when I feel the spirit, you know, or when he feels like at home and I was like, dope, that's great news. That means there's more of your stardust here. So you have two options. Now you can either gather more of that stardust in your life and have it and, and surround yourself with it and thus feel at home here, or you can go and create more of that stardust and put more of that stardust out there so that other people who are made of your stardust can also feel that connection and it was something like i said i had never previously thought about this and it felt so much like i was being guided by mother in that moment and that she had prepared me for that moment two weeks prior on this mushroom journey and i was just so grateful for it and that's just one experience that happened right after and i've had several since where i've had the same opportunity of either saying i'm so sorry i know that's really hard or going within and really trying to feel and understand them and it's been
0: such a game changer for me so there's probably something that uh people listening to this they're gonna have a question they're gonna want to know what it's like to work with a shaman <laughs> <laughs> so you brought this up a couple of times yeah what what is that experience like um like you, so it, it sounds like you found a shaman through a friend and then you did it together what is that experience like what does the shaman do what like what is the outcome of the experience? And yeah, just whatever details you want to share. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, I've done, I've worked with a couple different shamans now, and they all kind of have little different processes, excuse me, little different uh, ceremonies that they do. Um, pretty common one is uh, they set sacred space um, and they establish, you know, kind of like temple dedications, you know, in Mormonism. Uh, where they will set us apart that room as sacred space for the ceremony. And I've actually had the opportunity of just having like some friends over and we've done a mushroom journey together. Uh, That that was the third experience that I had. And then I guided a friend when I wasn't on them a different time and he was the only one on them. But we did the same kind of rituals of we set sacred space where uh, I lit... Um, what's that sage and uh, had like smoky sage you know around the room and uh, did a couple different things um, and, and again it's just kind of like it it's following what's in your heart you know and uh, so one thing that we did was like we stood looking at each other eye to eye and we put our hands on each other's heart and you just stare into the other person's eyes and you try to see yourself in them, and uh, you do that for about a minute. And like the one ceremony I did that, the first time I did that, we had a room full of people, and this was for a breathwork ceremony. Um, but I've used it also for mushroom ceremonies. But uh, and we would rotate the line, and you'd go to the next person, you put your hand on their heart, and they would put their hand on your heart, and you just stare in their eyes for sixty seconds. And it it's awkward for the first ten or twenty, and then you kind of settle in, and then it becomes more comfortable for you and then all of a sudden you're able to like really try and see the person's soul through their eyes and it's such a powerful experience that anyone can do it anytime, you know um but uh um then let's see on the first journey uh we used tarot cards i know some people don't like tarot cards or think they're of the devil or whatever but um but you drew a tarot card and it just had a prompt on there that was like something insightful, you know, it's just like these meaningful spiritual messages on there. Um, And I don't think the tarot card really did much for me. You know, it was just like, Oh, that's a cool message. And that's a cool thought or whatever, but I don't felt like, feel like it guided my journey at all. Um, And, um, and then we took time to meditate and just kind of, get ourselves into a spiritual place before we took them. And then when we took them, it was like, they had a table full, and it was like, pick the ones that you want, that you feel like you should take. And so we like took them, and then you know you weigh them on a scale to make sure that you're make, taking the right amount of dosage or whatever. Um, and then take them, and then music is just such a huge part of it, where we put on, there's an artist called Port Engie and I swear his music is just made for journeys um of any kind and uh so he'd put on port spelled like p-o-r-a-n-g-u-i i think something like that um but uh his music just definitely like guides you and everything like that and yeah i think that's pretty much it
0: got some more curious questions all right so here's one that i've heard uh and and you kind of shared a, a story um about mushroom trips occasionally it goes south for people occasionally like they'll have a panic attack or maybe it's one of those experiences where they see monsters or they sometimes hear people say demons and they don't know how to handle it in fact i saw a jordan peterson interview who's interviewing a professor actually and the professor was talking about uh, mushrooms altered states and things like that And, and they were talking about demons what that means because from Jordan Peterson's perspective, he's more like someone that studies Carl Jung, that studies psychology and all that. And more of his perspective is that the demon is created out of the mind. It's not like um, a spiritual entity or things like that. I'm not really sure where I stand on it. It's really like the a tough question I asked someone who was doing mushrooms. I said, how do you know that it's like a spiritually led experience from the universe or God or whatever you want to call it? or if it's just a creation of your own mind, like how do you know which one it is? Maybe you'll answer this too along with this. I want to know, do, have, have you known people have had negative experiences with mushrooms that have, uh, had panic attacks or, or they kind of lost where they were, or it didn't go as well as is planned. Have you ever had those heard of those experiences?
1: Uh, yeah, great question. Um, I think that, uh, I have I've heard of people having tough journeys, but I haven't heard of people having bad journeys where they had to go through a lot and they had to feel a lot and they had to experience a lot. Some people say it's a mushroom journey is a year's worth of therapy in five hours. And so it's like you feel you have those times where you feel a lot and it is difficult and you have to, like, remind yourself to stay curious. Um. I personally don't know of anyone that's had a a bad experience where they were like, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Like, I'm sure that those people are out there. Um, but I would say that a lot of those experiences were more than likely more recreational than they were spiritual. Um, I know quite a few people who have used them in a recreational sense, you know, and for the most part, even those have been very positive for them. but. I haven't heard of anyone that has said, I wish I wouldn't have done that Um, so far. It's been everyone getting something meaningful out of it, especially if you're going in like the spiritual sense. And like one thing that I always like will explain to people beforehand is, hey, I want you to know that you are safe. Like you are safe. This is uh, we are protected here if like worst case scenario, you trip and you cut your hand or something and you need to go to the hospital, it's three minutes away. You know, we can get an Uber or this person is here and they can drive us or whatever. Um, and so I always try to reassure them that they are safe and just let them know like, Hey, if you are feeling anything that is like scary or that you are confused by, um, then first of all, stay curious and ask why and just pause kind of the experience how I said you can't kind of pause it and be like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. You can kind of pause it and be like, look, I'm safe. Like I'm okay here. Like I am safe. This is we are okay. Now why am I experiencing this? And so um
0: yeah. Thank you for sharing. I I these are just questions I have, you know. It's um pretty understandable because I've I've heard experiences may have been recreational. What I heard, you know, it's hard to say what's what. How do you know when it's how do you define whether it's a spiritual journey or a recreational journey?
1: Um, I'd say it, it's it's your how you start it, you know It's if you are starting it in a place of let's go to a rave and take mushrooms, you know I mean that's a recreational experience. If you're with your friends and you're like, ah, oh, let's get messed up and take some mushrooms. like I think if it's consumed with alcohol, you know that's that's just a recreational experience um if it's spiritual I mean it's a very intentional thing where you oh that's another thing I should have clarified that in like the starting of doing a spiritual journey we always set our intentions and oftentimes write it down write down what you're hoping to get out of it and everything like that and sometimes my intention I've said it and it has taken me to exactly that point and I've been able to like study that thing that question and other times, mother is just like, nope, we're not going to go there. We're going to go clear over here And because this is what you actually need right now. Um, and I forgot to answer the question also of how do I know if it's spiritual, if it's from God or if it's not. From your mind. Yeah, or from your mind. Um, I would say it, it's putting it through the love filter. Is this a loving thing? Is this thing teaching me to be more loving person? Does this make me feel love? like God's love, then then I can feel like this is from God. Um, and I also forgot, I wanted to mention something when you were talking about um, Heavenly Mother and how we are the only ones who teach about Heavenly, or the Church of Christ by our Saints is the only one that teaches about Heavenly Mother um, and how it is so interesting that for some reason the church feels threatened by her. Like they don't want us to talk to her, you know? And that is, to me, so... Crazy because when I think about God, I think that God is a good dad, like that. that and that's just to put it as simple in terms as possible. God is a good dad, and if God is a good dad, what good dad doesn't want their children to talk to their mom? <laughs> you know, like, and I think that God does want us to talk to our mom, and that He is totally fine with us talking to our mom. And that she also wants to talk to us, you know, because what good mom, I think she's a good mom, what good mom doesn't want to talk to her kids (laughs) and doesn't want her kids to talk to her, you know, like I think that God is a good mom and I think that God is a good dad. And so if that's the case, then why would we not be able to talk to both, receive revelation from both? and have a very strong connection with both of them, you know, with both of our spiritual par- parents. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I, mushrooms did help me to reach out to mother, you know, to my, or it wasn't even me reaching out to her. It was her 100% just coming to me and started talking to me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's mom.
0: <laughs> like, it's, it's It's mother that's
1: talking to me. No way. That's so cool. <laughs>
0: So I wanted to ask uh, related to this um, with, so it sounds like a lot of these, the the mushroom trips that you've done, you've spoken with mother, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had anything like, have you ever had conversations with Jesus Christ or heavenly father? And if not, do you, do you seek those conversations outside of mushrooms? Is there like, how has your, uh, how do you pursue that relationship as well? Uh,
1: Great question. Um, I think, uh, no, I haven't had experiences where I've had God or Jesus Christ talk to me. It has been only Mother who has talked to me. And, um, and I think that that's that very intentional by God because for m- the majority of my life, I was so scared of God the Father. I was so scared. I believe that he didn't want me in his house. You know, I believe that he was, he was angry that if I didn't do what he said, that he was going to take away my family from me forever. And that I was, I was scared of God, the father. And, and, um, so I think that when God, the mother was the one who came and started talking to me, I just felt so much safer with, her. And it felt like she wasn't angry at me ever. And I don't think God was ever angry at me. It was just my perception of like God, the father. And, um, that was like, so angry with me. And it's also just interesting. Cause I feel like I'm also a mama's boy. Like <laughs> I, I talk with my mom way more than I talk with my dad and like, I'm very close to my mom and I'm close to my dad as well, but it's just different with my mom. You know, I just have, I'm very much, I'm a mama's boy. And so to have god the mother talked to me it just makes total sense and it feels so right and i don't feel like i'm missing out at all with like god not talking to me or Jesus not talking to me i think that they're all on the same team they're all like fine with whichever one of them is the delivery system of a message like i don't think it really matters and uh so i don't feel like i'm missing out on a relationship with god the father just because I talk more with God the Mother, um, which is who I tend to pray to now, um,
0: and um, yeah, awesome insights. I yeah, I I know I'm asking some questions that are kind of putting you on the spot, a little tougher to like think about. But like, it's just curious. I'm a very curious person. Maybe I'd be great for mushrooms, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm I'm just looking at every aspect of this. You know, because, okay, so here's another question, and we're, we're getting near the end of the interview. Um, when someone goes on a mushroom trip, is it, would you say that you go to a spiritual realm, or is spirituality kind of not, it doesn't really, because people do it recreationally, mm-hmm. right? It's like, are they not in a spiritual realm, or are they just kind of in their mind, or is it like spiritual? you only go to spiritual realm if you're like intending spirituality? Like how do you, like where, I guess the question is what's the location? Like where are you in, in these trips? And another related part of that is if you're on mushrooms, is it kind of like augmented reality? Like you're you in the room, you, you mentioned you're aware of everything around you. Is it like augmented reality where like you're in the room and then all these things appear to you? Or is it like virtual reality where it's like you got a headset on and it's just like everything's happening? In fact, virtual reality is something people used to get in altered states as well. Um, there's a great business in Bluffdale called Jump that I went to recently. They teach you how to base jump in virtual reality, and they've done a lot of studies around it and found that it puts people in an altered state of mind. That they really think they're squirrel, suit, they're in a squirrel suit and jumping because they do dress you in a squirrel suit and they do push you off a ledge, uh-huh. <laughs> and you don't know that you're strapped in when they push you (laughs) like, well, they don't push you. You have to jump. Right. So you, you go off a ledge and you feel your toes on the ledge you have to leap off. So is it, yeah. So the first part of the question, right. Is, um, where was the location, right? Like, where are you going? And is it inherently a spiritual place or is it kind of what you make it? Because like you said, it was recreational or spiritual. And then is it like an AR experience or a VR experience?
1: yeah great questions uh where am i? <laughs> that is such a good question um to put it like this the the one of the times i was um i was in this place in this different i would say it's more uh augmented reality over virtual reality where except it i'd say it's described as i would describe it as a different dimension where I'm in a different place and like i remember asking or saying to mother i was like uh, i was like i'm gonna like come down from this and i'm gonna go back to worrying about my outfit (laughs) i was like what like like because when i'm in that realm it's just so clear to me that like i need to focus on love and we are here to help each other um you know one of my favorite quotes By Ram Das is we're all just walking each other home. And um when I when I'm in that place, that's so clear to me. It's just, oh, that's what matters is I'm walking we're walking each other home. I need to take care of my brothers and sisters, I need to help them out. I need to focus on love. I need to love me more and I need to be more connected uh with love and everything like that. And so I, I was in this space and just feeling so good and so happy. And so like, gosh, like it, it was just so clear, you know, everything like the purpose of life just felt so clear in this space. And so I said to mother, I'm going to go back to worrying about my outfit. Like, I'm going to go back to worrying, about <coughs> to worrying about what people think of me. I'm going to go back to worrying about like, if this client is going to like this thing that I deliver like, and that's going to be like such a huge focus for me. And it just, it all just seemed so silly from that place. And I was like, how do I keep this view when I go back there? And mother was like, look, it's all life. Okay. That's part of life is you are going to have to go worry about those things. Um, She said, that is part of life. And she was like, and this is also part of life. Like you are getting to see like a life from a different lens right now. And this is life. And that is life. And, and it's all like, you don't need to like worry that like, oh, how do I get back here or anything like that? She's like, you know what you need to do in life. And this is all life. So just go back and you'll be fine. And, and it's not something like, yeah, you are going to worry about those things again, but it's okay. You'll figure it out. And you'll come closer and closer to uh, this place as you go on of being able to see everything from this different plane and
0: recognizing that the things that are the most
1: important in life and you will get better at focusing on those things as you go.
0: So what do you believe is like the end game of life, like the purpose of life, I should say, and what happens after it? after our mortal life ends, if there is something after it to you, or like, what is your perspective on that now? Great question. Um, so sometimes when I wake
1: up in the morning, there's like a thought waiting for me. Like when I come into consciousness, there's just like this thought sitting there that's like waiting for me to run into it as I wake up. And this morning I had one of those thoughts. And I wrote it down, so I want to like read it to you because I think it also answers your question. Exactly. Uh, Sin is merely the absence of love. Our purpose in life is not to try to do things that is not to try to do things that aren't loving. Our purpose is to try to get good at loving. Christ didn't come to suffer for all the times we weren't loving. He came to teach us how to love. God doesn't want us to be clean and pure from not loving. He wants us to be lovers. We aren't here being tested, we're here being made. And that's that's what I believe is that we are here to become more loving people. We are here to learn and we are here to, I think that love is the most powerful thing on the planet. You know, I think that uh, in the church I was taught about how powerful the priesthood was and, Uh, I feel like love is 10 times more powerful than anything else, you know, and that it has the power to change the hearts of man and to help us become the people that God ultimately wants us to become. And he wants to build an army of lovers. Like I think that that's that's what the purpose is. And when I was in the church, I focused so much on sins and don't mess up and don't sin. And I think that's one of the biggest issues with the church is that they focus on do these things and don't do these things. But you it is possible to do all those things that you're supposed to do and not do all the things that you're not supposed to do and still be the same person. You can still do exactly what it says without becoming anything different and actually just becoming a robot, you know, where you just I do this and I don't do this. And that is it. You know, you can easily do that without becoming a person who is more loving. But if you focus your life on love and on trying to become a more loving person, I think that you it's pretty hard to miss becoming a more loving person at that point. And and that you can become a more loving person. And that's what God ultimately wants for all of us is for all of us to walk each other at home and to be loving people.
0: That's what I, believe. I think that's a great perspective. I um, I totally agree. I mean, there's so many things in there that you said that resonate very well with me. And, you know, I think about the, like you mentioned, the priesthood, right? Who's to say the, that the priesthood isn't love and that when we're using it in any other way that we're not actually using it, you know I mean, and that's originally the, like in the LDS church, there's two priesthoods, there's an Aaronic priesthood, which is considered the lower priesthood which really deals as a priesthood in things that are physical. Then there's the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the higher priesthood, which deals with things that are spiritual in nature. And before it was the Melchizedek priesthood, it was just called the power of Christ. And they used the name Melchizedek for basically to say, we don't want to be using the name of Christ constantly, constantly, and have it be old. Like just people get used to it. They want to make sure when we say Christ's name that we really feel that reverence, that, um, you know, that reverence toward him. I almost feel like it would be better if it was called the priesthood of Jesus Christ, you know, like, because it would bring more of that reverence. And um, it does say in the doctrine and covenants that uh, when someone is using the power, you know, like to get gain without virtue or without patience or without love, that it's gone, right? And I I almost wonder that, you know, if that priesthood power really is just love and it's Christ's love and it's Christ's love that heals. It's Christ's love that gives us perspective. It's Christ's love that brings us truth about who we are. And it's really Christ's love through which we should be making decisions, especially in the church, right? Through that lens of Christ's love, I mean, there's policies you and I both disagree with, you know, that go on in the church it's just like, why, like, why does this even matter, first of all? Like, why do you, why do you care, you know? And there's others that, like, we could, honestly, there's a huge rule book in the church. I feel like we could just throw it out uh, because you are right when someone is uh, being, you know, obedient, and doing all the things they should do, and not doing all the things they shouldn't do, it doesn't mean that they're the person that they want to become. They're just showing the actions of as if they were that person. But on the inside, they probably got a lot of turmoil. It's like, how can I keep living this way for too long? It's not sustainable, right? Which ultimately, if someone's living that way, I think they've don't have perspective of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Because who did he go dine with? He dined with the sinners and the publicans, and he dined with the prostitutes. And that's who he was hanging out with, basically, all the time. That's why the Pharisees, who were doing all the right steps, literally the right steps, the right actions, and he would just lay into them. Because, like it says in Isaiah, with their mouths they drew near unto him but with their their hearts that are far away and uh i really appreciate your perspective and and you bring a unique perspective that i think people in the church don't think about or consider or hear especially having a relationship with with mother and and building that kind of connection um well i'm going to ask you a really tough question at the end i hope you're ready for this all right okay so how do you know when you are seeing mother that it is uh like heavenly like the divine feminine how do you know that it is her
1: um i don't see her i hear her so i i haven't seen the person who is talking to me i have only heard the voice and uh the voice um i guess i don't know that it's mother um i do believe that it is a divine feminine person whose focus is to help me be a more loving person. And so maybe it's an angel, you know, I don't know. Um, and I'm fine with that. Like if it is an angel or if it is a mother, the God, the mother, you know, um, either way they are inspiring me to be a more loving person. They're helping me in my life. And so, um, yeah, it doesn't, totally matter I do call her mother and she hasn't corrected me so I guess that's how I would that's why I think it's mother um but uh but even if it's not it's one of her angels so I'm fine
0: either way thank you for answering my questions so candidly I you know I'm gonna ask whatever I want because I just I want to know your perspective in your model world and how you view it yeah I've I uh you know I'll drive around and I'll have just conversations like people call them prayer Right. And I, I'll I'll just have I was having one just like a week ago and I, I was thinking about how many like self help books I read and how many like courses I've taken and all the trainings I've done and like to figure out my life, you know, like to really figure out how to be successful, how to create what I want and everything. And like I I don't hear God, like physically hear God, but I I get his words, if that makes sense. They'll go into my mind and communicate something to me, and it'll be a message that I understand. More like self-talk, if that makes sense. And uh, this was what I got. It was, "Have you ever considered using me?" <laughs> right? And I was like, "Free." <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I've considered that, but like, I, like, for me, I, I became so bad at asking for help. I think that's what self-help books are for is for those people that really get bad at asking for help. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, this is a great solution. I don't have to ask for help. I could buy a book and read it and like get the help that I want. And uh, you know, the that kind of communication is really valuable to me because it, it then centered me again, right? It was like you're basically the message was you're going everywhere and anywhere but to me. It's like you would trust yourself over me. You would trust this book over me. You would trust, like, this podcast over me, this video over me. You're going everywhere but to me. He, and, and the message is like, why don't you try me? Right? It's like, don't you think I'm the all powerful master of the universe and that I love you and care about you? Well, yeah. So then what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And I imagine maybe these are kind of like some conversations you have with mother, right? Is, yeah. is this, this idea that can you really just let go and trust? And um, the way I've defined spirituality for me, and I've done it on this podcast, it's releasing attachment. And it's being able to see, to say, I, I don't need someone else's opinion of me for me to feel good about who I am. I don't need money to have a good time, right? I don't need, I mean, think about money, for example. How messed up is this? We're, we become convinced that we need money when we're born, not even knowing what it is, right? Like there's some things that are just so mind blowing that you look at it and you see this world is built around limitations and the whole simulation is something that doesn't even have, like the rules of it, don't even need to be there all the time. Right. So I I enjoy your stories of how you are connecting to love and, and you're looking for that in your life. And, and I, I think you're finding a lot of healing for you, and and you're finding that space where you just want to be Jake, you know, and, and, and you're finding that for yourself. Do you have anything else you want to add or uh, final message for the audience before we close this out? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you
1: say, talking about God saying, like, what about me? You know, and like, depending on him and everything like that. And I think that one thing I've figured out is that like God's ultimate purpose for us here isn't to become so dependent on him God's purpose is he wants us to learn to think for ourselves you know he wants us to to actually also depend on ourselves and to become people who we can depend on and who we can you know obviously God is there as a guide and everything like that but a lot of people, you know, have this belief in God where it's like, oh, I, he's everything. I'm nothing without him. I have to have God. I have to rely on him every single day, you know. And like, I need God so much in my life. And I think that God is like, don't be so clingy. <laughs> like, like any good parent wouldn't want their kid to be so dependent on them. You know, every good parent wants their kid to move out of the house and to go and figure out life and to like learn how to trust themselves and learn how to be successful on their own. And obviously, like I. Still go back to my earthly parents for advice all the time. And I go to my heavenly parents for advice all the time. And, but to, to be in this place of like so much like clinginess, and I guess that was one thing that just like the, the church made me feel like I was so dependent on the church for so much, you know, for my salvation. Like if I wasn't with the church, then I wouldn't be able to be saved. I wouldn't be able to be with my family forever. And, and realizing that God is so much bigger than just one church or one organization and that God is a good dad, you know, like a good dad is not going to split apart families in the next life. You know, that's what I believe is that a good dad doesn't split apart families. <laughs> like, And in the next life, I don't know if there's like a three kingdom set up or whatever. I, I don't, and, I, and frankly, I don't need to know what that setup looks like because that's not what I'm worrying about right now. I'm worrying about taking care of my brothers and sisters here. I'm worrying about walking everyone home. And um, and if in the next life there is a three-kingdom setup, I just can't imagine that God would make a plan where two out of the three kingdoms, he splits apart families and they don't get to be together. Like that, to me, just there's just no way that that is what a good dad would ever do. Um, and so I believe that in the next life I will get to be with my family or I believe I'm kind of, I kind of lean more towards that. uh, There's no way I can learn enough in just one go around of life to be good for eternity. (laughs) Like, I think I kind of lean more towards like the reincarnation of like, I'm going to live this life and I'm going to live a life as someone else or something else. And I'll get to have those experiences and, And I'll continue to do that until I reach some state of, I don't know, like God, you know, because if I'm going to be the God of a world, then I want to know what it's like to be rich, to be poor. And I just want to like have a good idea. I want a perfect knowledge of what that's like. You know, I want to know what it's like to be a man, to be a woman, to be a squirrel, to be a dog, to be a plant, to be anything that's here. I feel like if I'm going to be a good God, I need to know exactly what all those things are feeling. And... In
0: order to do that i need to
1: live it i need to experience it i don't know
0: yeah thanks for sharing some aspects about the afterlife um and, and your opinion on that and everything that's that's something that those specifically the three kingdoms of glory that's something i'll get to in a future episode that i'll talk about um my perspective because it's not traditional <laughs> at all um i mean there's if i haven't you know I, i've thoughts have crossed my mind about reincarnation and all this kind of stuff and I'll share those in future episodes, like what I think about that. Um, one thing I'll, I'll clarify, when when I said uh, spirituality is about releasing attachments, right? Ultimately, you need to release the attachment that you need God. And that's a really controversial statement. And I understand that because so many people, like you said, have like a dependency to them. And I agree with you. I don't think we're here to be dependent on him. I think Jesus Christ said it really well to his closest apostles. He says, "You're my friend," right? And that's the relationship that I personally want to have with God where it's like, I don't like I I'm not desperate for you. Or I'm not needing you to like come here. It's like you're my friend, you're my buddy, right? It's like like uh I'm I'm your son. You're my dad, right? It's like we're supposed to play catch and be close. You know what I mean? And and I just go to you because I know you have perspective that I don't, right? And it's and and it's not his job to say, well, you need to go to medical school. So what are you doing studying, you know, humanities, <laughs> right? And it's like, that's not the job of the, our father. You know, he, he says, um, what do you want to do? You tell him what you want to do. And then he says, you want some advice. And you say yes or no. Then you go do the thing because ultimately this experience is for us. It's not for God. He's already has it, had his experiences. He doesn't need you to need him. Like he's been through this. He has his love that he was looking for. He's been through the progression. He just wants you to create and he'll be there because uh, in the words of Joseph Smith, at least, he says, uh, where who we are now, God once was. And that it's basically implying that he progressed all the way to where he is. And with that perspective, that's more of how I view my relationship with God. I did release, like I stopped needing him and that was almost scary for me for a little bit because I wanted to rely on myself and I wanted to be independent spiritually and uh, it, it, very similar to some things you've described with yourself. Um, but then I came, like recently I've been coming back and being like, I just, I don't need you, but why not have you in my life? You know, why not just kind of like when kids move out and they like hated their mom's cooking or they like fought with their parents all the time and then they get married and they have a kid and they finally understand and they're like, oh, I just want to talk to my mom or like I just want to talk to my dad, right? Like they find, they they understand what I'm going through. They know what that is. That's the relationship now that I'm developing with God is I don't need his church. I don't need his prophet. I don't need him and I don't need Jesus Christ, but I want god and i want jesus christ and there's aspects about the church that i want in my life and there's things that the prophets say that i want to follow and this is where there's a lot of problems that happen in the church is when people feel like they need the church which means they have to do what it says and they have to do exactly what the prophet says even when it's not helpful sometimes to their specific individual situation could be helpful to a lot of people maybe not to them right and that's now my perspective, I, um, and, and to me, that's the pinnacle of spirituality is really shifting the game, right? Where it's like, do you want to be a passenger in the bus or do you want to drive the bus? In order to drive the bus, you need to release the attachments that keep you a passenger. And you need to be like, I don't need God. Like, I feel like in the in the context of everything, I already feel equal to him. Like, I already consider myself equal to him. I just haven't progressed to where he is, if that makes sense, right? I haven't got, like, I'm not at his progression, but it doesn't mean I'm unequal in value or character or... Um, intelligence. Maybe, maybe he's developed his intelligence more, but it doesn't mean it's an inequality. If mm-hmm. That makes sense. Same in, in this concept with like Jesus Christ all my life, I viewed Jesus Christ as my better, stronger, smarter, older brother that was that I'll never compare to. Uh-huh. And then I was like that it's like opposite of what's true. Actually, I'm, I mean, we're, we're essentially equal too you he, he just had the calling to show me a life to live and how to do it. Well, how to enjoy it. I wish I could have walked with Christ, you know, and like seen the jokes he did or like the comedy that was there, all that kind of stuff. Um, I appreciate you, Jake. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh For those that are listening, uh share this with your friends. I know that you probably have friends that are exploring spirituality. You probably have uh, people that are using mushrooms or other aspects of spirituality. Share the conversation with them. I think it'll be a really... Uh, intriguing, insightful conversation for both sides of the spectrum and and people can really start to gain their own perspective. And uh, really, when when you're done listening to this, listening to this, you just form your own opinion out of what you heard today. I'm not going to overlay what I think is right or wrong about this conversation because ultimately you need to decide for yourself what you want to do in spirituality and how you want to approach your relationship with god and how you want to go about it
1: um amen to everything you just said there that was beautifully said um all of it i loved it um also uh, if anyone has any questions for me uh you can find me on instagram my handle is yep jake c so y-e-p jake c um and i have my own podcast that I'm about to launch. It's called Oh for the love and it should be available anywhere where podcasts are available. Um, oh, for the love with Jake Christensen. It's a podcast where I interview people about pieces of art that has inspired them to become a more loving person. Um, so it could be a book, a movie, a TV show, a song, anything that has inspired the person to be a more loving person. They come on, we talk about it and uh, have some jokes throughout it, hopefully, and uh, yeah, talk about how we can be more loving people and the kinds of things that inspire that in us. So, um, yeah, and Kenny, thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. Um, and yeah, see y'all next time.
0: Um, one thing I will say is be very careful of how you judge people that leave the church. Um, a lot of times. They're, they might be working harder than you to find spirituality. They might actually be looking more in the scriptures. They might be looking more for truth than you ever have in your life and really seeking to make a difference and love the world. You can mostly assume that people that leave the church are usually great, excellent people that just had some experiences that were not great in the church, and it's okay for them to heal. They don't even need to return. It's just a part of life and this was you know for for jake he was born into it for me i was born into it it was not like you were consciously aware that you had a choice to be a member of the church for a while right like it doesn't mean that you didn't know before maybe or whatever i don't know um i think there's a lot of things we just don't know and going back to something that jake said is that there is one thing that we can know it's how to love ourselves, love God, and love our brothers and sisters at any part of the day. And we can know that and we can know that when it's happening and when it's not. So uh, thank you for listening today. Um, We will talk next week. Ken loves to get feedback from his audience. Send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience. Thank you for listening today and remember to join next week.